very warm welcome to all our listeners. On today's episode of the Climate Stand with the Final Stand, we have Professor Amit Lahiri with us. I am Tanmay Khandelwal, and I will be hosting today's episode alongside Maria Jovita. Professor Lahiri is the Chief Sustainability Officer at OP General Global University. He is also an Associate Professor at International Institute for Higher Education Research and Capacity Building. Professor Lahiri holds a master's degree in environmental studies from York University, Canada. He has also secured a master's degree in life science and molecular biology from Bombay University. Professor, we are honored to have you here with us today. I understand you're joining us from Toronto. How is the weather there? Cold, snowy, icy, and slippery. <laughs> in three words. <laughs> three or four the words. Weather over here is actually... Sadly, not snowy in the northern part of India where I reside, but uh, it is, you know, it gets warm during the day at this point. It's getting chilly at night. So I think the weather is just very affected by the climate as well. So I thought that was a pertinent question to ask. But yes, Professor, we would, um, today's in today's episode, we will be talking to you about your role as the Chief Sustainability Officer at uh, OP Jindal Global University. So um, what would you say your role particularly entails in this day and age, you know, as a chief sustainability officer, particularly in the context of the climate crisis that the world is facing? Right, Tanmay. Uh, I think it's a very good question that you ask. Uh, I think the chief sustainability officer role and designation has come about in not more than 10 years back. I think since when the climate crisis has absolutely started knocking on every door, be it a college or a university, be it a company, be it a a not-for-profit, be it an international multilateral organization, you know. Uh, so uh, because of the erratic uh, weather patterns, you know, which scientists are uh, again and again, particularly the International uh, Governmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, is again and again emphasizing that this is man-made. This is not natural, you know, this erratic uh, weather patterns uh, and uh, abrupt sort of, you know, a very extreme weather, whether it's extreme heat, whether it's extreme cold, whether it's forest fires, or whether it's flood or cyclones. So I think this CSO, the the Chief Sustainability Officer, is really then the point of contact to raise uh, the environmental awareness uh, in that organization, that that person is basically employed, and also make the connection between the climate crisis and human security, you know. So whether it's job security, or whether it's economic security, or whether it's political security, or whether it's civic security, we are all living in an age of great insecurity because of the pandemic. The pandemic is caused by zoonotic virus, which is a mm. novel coronavirus. Uh, we we have been our physiology physiology have been acclimatized to coronaviruses earlier like the SARS earlier in 2003-2004, or even the MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. These are all the part of the coronavirus. As a matter yeah. of fact, the common flu is also part of the coronavirus. But this novelness of this COVID-19, COVID-19-2, COVID-19 COVID-19 or the novel COVID virus is a zoonotic virus, which means that it has originated from animal species and jumped from rare animals, endangered animals to the human species. And that mm. can only have a, a, happen uh, with habitat disruption. 
And that is also concomitant and a consequence and concomitant with climate change and climate change is a consequence of this huge habitat destruction that is happening. And we are living, we are living in this, uh, you know, this greatly insecure time for the last two years, and particularly your generation who would have to now be very conscious for the rest of your career, for the rest of your uh, education, and for the rest of your lives, really, you know, because uh, we, uh, as faculty members, as professors, we are at a different generation. Uh, I certainly am. <laughs> but all of you, I mean, uh, you are basically the generation of climate change and climate crisis. So that is the role of the chief sustainability officer. So, and then of course, uh, it's uh, also a very important role, not only just to raise the awareness and the connection between the climate crisis and the different elements of human security, but also primarily galvanize around what is to be done, what should be done, and then do participatory galvanize and mobilize participatory action in that organization to act. So uh, there is a limit to talking and engagement, Talk. and then there is the time to act. So the chief sustainability officer also then has to act. And that is why the word officer, because you know they're holding an office which basically enacts policy into action. So we wanted to better understand that what does a, C, a CSO do in a space like in, in a university? And specifically, we were quite intrigued to figure out what were your roles and responsibilities and duties as a CSO in um, Jindal Global University, which is aiming to be a very international institute with global environment. So we wanted to get a little more insight into these aspects. Yeah, Maria, that's also a very, very relevant question. So Maria, universities are physical organizations. Mm -hmm. Just as you are yearning after two years of being online to go back to the campus, why are you, why are all of you yearning to go back to the campus? Because the campus is a physical space of education, you know, which envelops you, which encapsulates you in a particular kind of peer-to-peer -peer relationship, peer, uh, you know, student-to-faculty relationship, um, and it sort of generates its own kind of dynamics, right? But it's a very much like any other organization. It's a physical organization with its own, own electricity requirements, therefore energy, mm -hmm. um, its own food uh, re requirements, and therefore waste, um, its own water requirements, and therefore conservation of water, in particularly water scarce areas like Haryana is sitting on. Uh, the red zone, you know, of water insecurity in India, particularly Sonipat, and uh, the water table underground is going deeper and deeper. And we sit on top of this kind of a red zone of water of a very privileged community who sometimes might be leaving the tap open in the washrooms uh, while they're basically uh, just, uh, you know, I mean, uh, even brushing the teeth, quite sort of uh, completely oblivious that, uh, that the water flow represents basic uh, a finite stock of water, you know, which uh, is running out, which is running out with time. And so the university, universities all over the world, particularly in the developed world, you know, you know, because there has been a lot of connected research in the Western universities, which has made the university management and the university governance aware of their roles in educating the newer generation, the next generation, the younger generation, who would inevitably be the leaders, 
in every sphere about this climate change crisis because it really affects their life. And climate change is primarily about intergenerational justice, right? So, uh, so this is the point of the universities that without the universities and the colleges and educational institutions and campuses becoming sustainable campuses, galvanizing student and faculty uh, and the staff together in one platform as a microcosm of the universe, as an ecosystem, you know, which is called the campus, uh, where everything from food production, from, from food wastage, from organic waste to energy consumption, to water wastage, to water use, every conceivable food, energy, water, and biodiversity, the main elements of climate change, climate crisis, right? And what we do, uh, you know, as human beings, right? And to become aware, no better place than the university to become aware of, you know, particularly in residential universities like, like ours, like Jindal Global University. And so my role specifically to, uh, uh, to answer your question, uh, because it's a university and because I'm also an academic, I'm also a professor and I'm also a researcher, it's primarily to raise the awareness and to make the connection between the climate crisis and the different aspects of uh, our human civilization. And also to galvanize uh, you know, action around developing cur curriculum, interdisciplinary cur curriculum and cross-disciplinary curriculum, and also to galvanize action around action, uh, uh, galvanize action around climate crisis, you know? Mm -hmm. So something like the research project that we are about to start, Maria, on experiential and engaged uh, and participatory action around the sustainability action lab, for example. So that institution uh, that we are trying to conceptualize, uh, which could take root in Jindal Global University, that is precisely that interdisciplinary, experimental, uh, laboratory-like um, environment which then gets students from different schools uh, to basically try and think clearly and try and think using different perspectives, different disciplinary perspectives, but use a disciplined approach to develop an action-based approach to develop solutions to uh, commonly uh, uh, addressed uh, issues like the food, energy, water, uh, and environment. So, 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 so that is my role, Maria. So, Professor, I understand that the university has, it has a lot of courses that it's offering as well on uh, climate change to understand it all. I also read that you uh, have given a, uh, a talk about corporate social responsibility at NASCOM's forum. And so I wanted to understand what Jindal as Jindal or a JGU uh, as a corporate entity, what has it um, sort of contributed towards the environment and sustainability? as a university that is, like you said, in a bubble, it, it's an ecosystem by itself, yet it is also a corporate entity. So I wanted to understand what its responsibilities are and what it has contributed, if you're able to speak about that, you'd love to know. Yeah, so the, so Jindal Global University is a young university, Tanmay, as, uh, 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 as you know. It's uh, founded in 2009 uh, by uh, our dynamic vice chancellor, Dr. Rajkumar, you know. Um, when he left his job, uh, you know, teaching full-time job at uh, City University of Hong Kong, and uh, you know, he found uh, the opportunity to sort of start this and initiate this university. And since the, since then, the university has made great strides. It has become an institute of eminence, recognized by the government of India, 
It has become an internationally, globally ranked university by the QS system. It's uh, one of the top 100 universities under the age of 50 worldwide. Um, so that's that represents the kind of strides and the kind of accomplishments that it has made. And of late, the university is also taking significant action uh, in um, addressing uh, climate change and uh, uh, you know education around climate change and also action around climate change. So last year, around October or November, uh, the Vice Chancellor unveiled on United Nations Day the Sustainability Development Report, or the SDG Report, the Sustainable Development Goals Report of the university. Um, and rightfully so, it was basically inaugurated by the uh, India country chief of the UNEP, the United Nations Environmental Program, on the auspicious day of the United Nations, uh, you know, uh, that particular day. And so that SDG report is, a, is, uh, is there in the public domain. And if you if you glance through the SDG report, which has been which has got several third party assurance, uh, including a law firm and also a um, you know social scientist uh, of repute, and also endorsed uh, and uh, you know verified and validated by the Terry, you know the Tata the Energy Research Institute, which was formerly the Tata Energy Research Institute, which is a preeminent institution for environmental education and environmental science and interdisciplinary edu environmental education in India. It's located in the north, in Delhi. So um, with that uh, third-party assured SDG report, uh, it becomes quite clear that although Jindal Global University is a new university, and nevertheless, it is, it is taking significant strides in becoming aware that its energy utilization, its water utilization, its food, its composting, its uh, responsibility towards the uh, larger community as such uh, needs to be uh, enacted into concrete action programs. And so therefore, uh, that report has a rich repository of the different kinds of actions that the university has done around environmental sustainability and also social sustainability, right? And the intersection of both. Um, so, so, so uh, uh, but there is lots more to be done, lots more to be done, particularly uh, trying to uh, leverage uh, the dynamic potential bright talent that all of you are, all of you represent as students, the 8,000-odd uh, students uh, that are there in Jindal Global University. So uh, I think at the student level, uh, such an institution like the Sustainability Action Lab uh, that we are trying to uh, conceptualize, um, you know, I mean, in a research project which is uh, about to start, you know, very, very soon with a Fulbright scholar visiting us for three months from the uh, from uh, uh, the New York State University uh, in the United States. Uh, and of course, it includes your colleague, uh, Maria, who's uh, actively involved in that research project. So uh, that Sustainability Action Lab, that uh, institution, that what we are trying to conceptualize is a student-centered institution. It's at the level is at the center of student thinking, student action around climate change. But of course, mentored by faculty and a whole lot of other uh, experts, ex external experts that can be brought in. But then the whole idea is it's participatory, student galvanized, student initiated action around climate change. Yeah, I, I agree actually that the university is doing quite a bit. Um, and so I've heard that Maria is also part of the project. And I realize that um, JGU is the first university that has ever released such 
uh, first Indian university, uh, at least, that has released such a report. And um, so I understand that, you know, many other universities should follow suit because there are so many, not just law universities, but if I were to look at, you know, the other universities in the country that specifically delve into something like, like the sciences, I think they need to follow suit and they really need to start sort of developing an idea of what a sustainable university must be, you know, give reports and not just reports, but also have actions that like something like JGU is taking. So I really commend you on the action lab as well that Maria has told me about. Yes, Professor, we are indeed quite excited about um, the, I'm on a personal level quite excited about the Sustainability Action Lab, but overall as a student of JGU, I think it's going to be an incredible part of our university and I think it's going to be, it's going to be a very essential role in the upcoming, uh, in, in the lives of these students, um, especially the more recent enrolled students. And with that, Professor, we also, we wanted to kind of understand how your education and your former professional experience has aided you in undertaking this role as a CSO? Maria, Maria, I come from um, uh, a, a quite a checkered uh, educational background. I started off with life sciences and chemistry, the science at St. Xavier's College, Bombay, now Mumbai, which is a 175-year-old quality institution run by the Jesuits. So um, I, I got involved very early on as an undergraduate student uh, through my uh, life sciences and chemistry and environmental science in matters of the environment, because we, uh, fortunately, um, as a educational institution, as a college, St. Xavier's College, Mumbai, had a Xavier's villa in the Western Ghats, in the lower foothills of the Western Ghats, in Kandala, to be very specific. And particularly for uh, science students, for zoology, botany, life sciences, chemistry, um, there used to be regular field trips organized in, you know, regular photography clubs, wildlife photography clubs, nature photography clubs. And, you know, we used to have student guides who were so well versed with the topography and terrain of Western Ghats that they could actually run a whole uh, kind of a, a, a tour program. You know, I mean, they were so well versed uh, with the uh, flora and fauna of the Western Ghats, uh, which is endemic. Uh, this huge, great biodiversity hotspot, which is now a critically critical ecosystem, which is a threatened ecosystem, and one of the 36 biodiversity hotspots. So that really, that really uh, stimulated my early uh, environmental interest. But since then, I did a master's degree, uh, as you as you know, in uh, in molecular biology, and then I got really very microscopically focused, much like the pandemic has made us microscopically focus on pathogens. So I was basically working on the HIV problem. And, and for several years, I was, you know, in industry, in the biotechnology, life science, diagnostics industry uh, for about a decade. And that also raised my awareness when I started working in industry about the, about the phase between business and environment. And then many years later, as a, a mature student, I gave myself the opportunity of doing another master's degree in environmental studies at York University in Canada, which was one of the first pioneering environmental studies set up in 1968, around the time that Rachel Carson was, uh, would be publishing her landmark book, The Silent Spring, which started uh, you know, the environmental movement and environmental activism. 
I mean, in North America, in, in the United States. So, uh, so I was I was very privileged to uh, you know I mean learn about the environment, to learn about the intersectionality of environment with different disciplines, and you know the impact of uh, you know human activity on the environment from absolute stalwarts like. You know, my thesis advisor was once also the deputy minister of environment in Ontario. And not only had he formulated policy and action uh, around environment, uh, you know, of the most industrialist province in Canada, Ontario, but he is also a very well-known ecological economist um, of the school of Herman Daly and, you know, who talks about uh, very passionately about the limits of growth. And the uh, uh, and the necessity of confining economic activity within the limits of the natural capital, and so these kinds of concepts, you know, and then that later paved the way for me to do a focused uh, graduate diploma in a business school which is internationally, globally known for its responsible management uh, uh, education called the Schulich School of Business, also in York University. And that's where I basically learned and understood the industry years, my industry years, that I spent about a decade or so. As I was telling you, after my master's at Bombay University, I understood very clearly how the connection uh, between business and environment is, you know, what the connection is and how industry uh, both negatively impact the environment can also take a huge innovative step in uh, altering this architecture of economic globalization you know, that we all live as producers and consumers. And so with these three levels of education, uh, with these three levels of education, one, the basic science, uh, you know, and the field trips at the undergraduate level, and then the master's level, further in experimental science, and then many years of work in industry, and then, you know, another uh, sort of immersive master's degree experience in environmental studies, and then in the business school. All that uh, is responsible, I think, uh, for my uh, general development and uh, approach towards the envir uh, environment and my passion to work in this area. All right, Professor. I think um, I think all uh, what I understand is that there is a lot of awareness that's needed for anyone to actually pursue something like this because it requires you to develop an interest in it. Because I have. Um, understood that a lot of us, while we do understand that the environment is under a lot of stress right now because of us, if there is a little more awareness, I feel like a lot of us would be a lot more passionate about it. So what would your advice be for, you know, young college students like myself and Maria and a lot of us to put uh, the envi environment and sustainability? And Professor, further adding to Tanvi's question, um, like what would your advice be to build a career in the field of environment and sustainability, which is so vast, which has so many disciplinaries within it? So what would your advice be? Uh, so Maria and Tanmay, uh, you know, uh, uh, young students and bright students like yourself at a university like Jindal Global University, which prides itself on its interdisciplinary education, you can immediately, uh, what comes to our mind is looking at those electives and cross-electives and particularly taking those cross-electives which, uh, you know, grounds you in the different aspects of this environmental crisis, right? From the political point of view, from the economic point of view, and also from the ecological perspective. It's very important also to understand ecological perspective. I can't emphasize that more. I was naturally blessed being a student of the natural sciences 
to understand quickly the connection uh, between ecology and you know the the way that our bodies function for example uh, the dynamic balance which we call homeostasis right it is basically uh, our homeostasis or metabolism going wrong and that is a very complex process where food and energy food and air is combined to produce energy uh, and also waste right the same way the same way um, you know, we must understand the dynamic connection between the human civilization and the ecological systems, where we transform the ecology for our material needs uh, and for our needs of energy, but we also end up transforming the environment through waste and by our interaction with the environment. And I think we are the only species of all the living species that are such a material species that we have learned through our technological innovation uh, how to take every conceivable raw material uh, and produce every conceivable kind of need and want of a very art, uh, industrial kind of a civilization to the extent that we have now exceeded the capacity uh, and the limits of the earth to produce these raw materials and also the absorption capacity of the waste. And consequently, uh, you know, all these GHG gases that we are talking about, this, uh, you know, producing the greenhouse gas and the, and the global warming, this is a consequence of that activity, right? Uh, particularly over the last 100, 150 years. So uh, my first recommendation would be to take uh, these courses and, and, and cross electives and even if you sort of, you know, I mean, even in your core courses to understand and appreciate both the science and the politics and the sociology uh, and the economics of climate change and particularly the, the human agency, you know, uh, because as students, you're also human agents, you know, and you're all part of the climate change crisis. So once you understand this, then seek out action uh, forums. Like, for example, you have developed the final stand, which is a fantastic initiative by all of you, you know, and you've done it on your own, you know, which I must commend you for that. And then, uh, you know, I mean, institutions, if it becomes possible uh, uh, to, to root like the Sustainability Action Lab, that can give you further opportunities, right, of an internship or a project-based, uh, yeah. And also, uh, Maria and Tanmay, very important to engage in any kind of an opportunity of a field trip, particularly natural areas, you know, uh, areas which are protected, areas which are uh, uh, which are under conservation, areas which are also simultaneously under threat. And most uh, areas, uh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, protected areas are under threat, really, uh, ironically, you know, so these are uh, these these excursions. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I think are absolutely vital to complement uh, to going out in the real world of environment and seeing the connection of what you study in classes. That is very important. And then finally, seek out any opportunities which makes you, you know, understand the plight of the underprivileged, of the poor, of the resource dependent communities, you know. And this is fundamental, I think, for the younger generation, particularly uh, for a privileged uh, urban, uh, mostly urban community like in Jindal. You need to understand the plight of the underprivileged because that is where 
the most vulnerable communities are for this climate change. You know, that is where uh, climate change will have the worst, uh, uh, most disastrous consequences. So this can only be done through participatory action, participatory research, you know, and any kind of an opportunity where you can actually work at any level with the underprivileged uh, in, in participatory and, or action research. These would be my recommendations. All right, Professor. I actually, um, I understand your point because I realized that, as you said, in your uh, run with education, you have, you know, you visited or you studied near or at the Western Ghats and, you know, that gave you the, that sort of the exposure to the natural sort of the environment. It helped you under, gain a lot of interest in this field. And I think that's very essential. I also understand that, you know, at the position that you are today, you must have read a lot of scholarly work and a lot of books as well in our first years um, in law school we read we, we read ex, uh, we read parts of the great derangement by amitav ghosh which is a book on uh, climate change and i think that was very interesting and you just talked about the silent spring as well which uh, was a book that was banned as well uh, because it put the government into a critical lens so i think these kind of books really help us engage and understand the whole situation and gain interest in it are there more books uh, that you would suggest to our listeners if there's a last word, a final word that you would want to give, leave our listeners with a word of inspiration. You would absolutely love that. I think, uh, you know, there is so much prolific production of environmental literature and books because of this crisis, because there's so many active minds, you know, uh, galvanized around this particular issue that, you know, this uh, we need to hold another podcast to talk about books. But to begin with, uh, Rachel Carson's The Silent Spring is a fantastic uh, point to start off. And I think it should be made part of essential reading in any university a curriculum, which even remotely even deals uh, with the climate change crisis. And then, of course, uh, you know, there is the very short Oxford introduction to environmental politics, because it's a very, very, it's, it's a very thin book. You know, it's a very, the book looks literally like this, you know. It's a thin book, so it's the environmental politics, a very short introduction by Andrew Dobson. It's an Oxford series, part of the very short introductory series. And it's very, very digestible, very simply written. And students and young people must understand uh, the connection between the environment and political organization. Uh, because, I mean, that is what really, you know, produces this human uh, crisis uh, called climate change or human-made crisis. And then, of course, very important uh, to understand that we are in a specific geological era called the Anthropocene, which was famously coined by the by by Nobel Prize uh, winner in atmospheric uh, chemistry, uh, Paul Crutzen. So the Anthropocene is to be understood as a age of human beings, very peculiar. At one, at many different levels, at the peak of accomplishment of the civilization, at another level, very tragically, almost inviting their own ex own extinction as a species. You know, so this kind of an ironic juxtaposition of uh, being at the peak of one's civilization and evolution as a species, and then at the same time, through those accomplishments and evolution, inviting one's own extinction, and not only just one's own extinction, but perhaps the extinction of 
all species living on Earth, right? Because the nature of climate change is such. And we are also that species which causes one million plus species to disappear from our biodiversity every year. Again, because of the Anthropocene, right? So this needs to be understood. And particularly because all of us are in India. And all Jindal Global University is contextualized in India. This particular book, Ecology and Equity, by Gardgil, Madhav Gardgil, who is considered to be the father of environmental uh, and ecological uh, education policy, you know, he is uh, a Harvard University trained ecologist, and he is the grand old man of Indian ecology. So this Ecology and Equity by Gardgil and Ramachandra Guha, Madhav Gardgil and Ramachandra Guha, way back in the 1980s, I think it's a brilliant introduction uh, between uh, exploring the connection between environment and social inequality. You know, so we, you would look at many categories in your courses in the university uh, between gender inequality, between education inequality, uh, between, uh, you know, economic gains, economic distribution inequality. But rarely do you come across in uh, about courses which explores the specific connection between uh, environment or ecology and equity or inequity, right? So this, these are, I think, uh, cornerstone books. And, you know, uh, I, I, I discovered this ecology and equity book when I was doing my participatory action research in the Western Ghats, along with a couple of prominent conservation NGOs since 2018. Um, uh, uh, after I relocated uh, from Canada to Jindal Global University in 2017, I started this uh, project in 2018. And this is when I began to appreciate the enormity of the problem in the Western Ghats which Professor uh, Dr. Madhav Gargil explores uh, along with Ramachandra Guha uh, in this book. And I appreciate that firsthand because I went there. I have been going there. I've been living with the communities. I've been living with the indigenous people there, right? And that is the kind of action lab that I have in mind, right? So the action lab that I have in mind is not a theoretical action lab. The action lab that I have in mind is to basically develop participatory solutions along with the most vulnerable, most affected communities, right? And that is the kind of research that I've been doing in Western Ghats since 2018. The most vulnerable, the most affected. Professor, I think all the books you've recommended has uh, is definitely going on my Amazon uh, card right now because I think it's 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 so interesting and. Uh, I think all of them are so specifically picked out. And Professor, I think throughout this podcast, you have given us such in- insight into not just your role, but into university spaces, into what sustainability even means. Um, and I think I think it has been really, really enlightening, not just for um, me and my co-host, Tanmay here, but also for all our listeners. And with that, we would really like to come to the end of our podcast and uh, we, on behalf of the final stand at JGU, wish to extend a heartfelt gratitude towards you for your valuable time and insight you have provided us today. And I think I think it's very immeasurable because you have gained so much experience throughout your um, really, really interesting courses and careers and the professional careers you've had. And I think gaining that level of experience through a podcast session here is invaluable for us. And we really hope to have you soon in another episode. And Professor, till then, thank you and goodbye. 
Thank you very much, Maria. Thank you very much, Tanmay, for the opportunity to talk to the final stand in the podcast. Really enjoyed my conversation with both of you. And and Maria, very interestingly to conclude, you talked about uh, all these books, orders might be going into the Amazon cart. But think also uh, for a moment, uh, what will happen in terms of the ecological footprint between the time that you order the book and you <laughs> receive the book in terms of all the transportation, in terms of the carbon and the water footprint of the packaging. And then finally, what will you do with the packaging, right? When you unwrap your book. So you contemplating the, these kinds of personal uh, actions and activities uh, immediately then makes you uh, makes you become makes you aware and and there is so much again uh, you know that this whole uh, environmental education can sort of be of value to uh, the younger generation you know definitely professor uh, gonna thank you maria thank you then. all our listeners to buy the kindle edition and go paper free <laughs> and save cut on all those carbon footprints <laughs> that would be wonderful that would be wonderful because you are a e generation in any case you know thank, thank you, you so much professor okay this was a pleasure and uh, we hope to have you soon thank you so much